You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to This Week in the History of College Football. My name is Clint Poppy. I'll be your host, and along with us is college football historian, college football magic man, college football take us down memory lane, Jay Abramson. Jay is the founder and author of the wonderful, wonderful website, thehistoryofcollegefootball.com. He is also the uh, author and publisher of a new book, believe it or not, called The History of College Football. Check it out on Amazon. Jay has an uh, amazing combination of uh, analytical skills, uh, mathematical prowess, and a deep and abiding passion for the game of college football. And so each week we uh, take a look at some significant things, players, teams, birthdays, events that happened on a particular week in the history of college football. And on this episode... We're going to be looking at significant events from October 5 through October 11. October 5 through October 11. Jay, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, and I want to thank you for allowing me a guest spot on your wonderful radio broadcast. Thank you very much, Mr. Poppy. You are uh, you you are most welcome, and uh, the privilege is all ours, because uh, you are what makes this program go. You've got the knowledge, and you've got the pizzazz to um, fill up thirty minutes of action-packed fun as we review, recount, and reminisce the history of college football. October five through October eleven. Where are you going to take us first, Jay? Ninety-five years ago. October 9th, on this date, 1926. Here's one you just don't really hear very often. University of Hawaii alumni 2, Hawaii 0. It was the second game of the 1926 season. Hawaii was riding a 1-0 record, riding a 20-game winning streak, a 21-game unbeaten streak, and they had just defeated field artillery 101 to nothing. Now, the University of Hawaii alumni, 2 to nothing shutout of Hawaii, was followed the next week by the Rainbow's win over Haleani, which was another 101 to nothing win. Now that means in 1926, it's just unusual. Hawaii had this weird three-game stretch where to start the season, sandwiched between 101 to nothing defeats of field artillery and Haleani, the team was shut out two to nothing. So if you're keeping record, you're keeping track, their record after three games was two and one, and they had out their opponents 202 to 2 and that included one game where they were shut out that is wild and that is bizarre and some of our listeners are old enough to remember when uh, colleges played alumni games on a fairly regular basis high schools play to this day alumni games there was even a crazy stretch where the nfl champion at the beginning of the year sort of like a um a preseason game or whatever would play a team of college all-stars and uh, when the college all-stars won a couple of times that pretty well ended that tradition that is a <laughs> that is a wild wild uh trip down memory lane and um 
It took all the way to 1926 and Hawaii to make it happen. What a great way to start off our program. This is This Week in the History of College Football. Along with us is uh, college football historian extraordinaire Jay Abramson. We're counting down and looking back October 5 through October 11 in the history of college football. Jay, spin us another memory, would you please? Well, October 7th, on this date in 1916, Georgia Tech, 222, Cumberland, zero. I thought it would be fun, so recently I did a podcast. It was a play-by-play announcer just announcing the game that was played in Grandfield, Atlanta on that day. I was using the actual game-by-play account, and it was taken from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So that was just for fun. But the details of the game that day, John Heisman's Georgia Tech team led 63 to nothing after the first quarter, 126 to nothing by halftime. And in the game, Georgia Tech amassed a total of 978 yards, scored 32 touchdowns, 10 of the touchdowns were on first downs. They forced 15 turnovers, 7 of them went for touchdowns. And Georgia Tech held Cumberland to minus 28 yards in total offense. But Georgia Tech never threw a pass. Anyway, Georgia Tech's coach, Don Heisman, went on to lead the Golden Tornado. That's what the Yellow Jackets were called back then, the Golden Tornado, to a national championship the next year in 1917 and a 33-game unbeaten streak. Jay, that is uh, that is amazing. It just every time I hear that, it just blows my mind. Uh, it seems to me I remember you talking about that game that uh, Georgia Tech did not have a first down. Is that correct? That's that's true. There were no first downs in the game. That is that is just a wild and bizarre stat. Do you know off the top of your head what episode number that is on your podcast for uh, that play by play of Georgia Tech two twenty two to nothing? Do you think I would? Um, yes. If I pause and hesitate so that you don't see me checking the episodes, I, I could definitely tell you. <laughs> so just bear with me. Okay. It was very recent, though. So yeah, it's it very was, recent. It's got to be 100 and something. I'm going to guess about 100. Oh, oh, oh I should have remembered this. I made it episode 100 because I had so much fun doing the reenactment of the game. Okay. episode. I out a bad memory. I purposely made it episode 100. Episode anyway, 100. Way, on October 17th is my one-year anniversary of the podcast. Okay, awesome. Well, we're coming up on that, and uh, that is uh, that is amazing in and of itself. And if you're not familiar with Jay's podcasts, they are lots of fun. Ten-minute podcasts uh, with some longer interviews thrown in. Uh, most of them are recounting the history of a team. Some of them are... Uh, you know, special topical type episodes. You can find them all uh, on Anchor, Jay Abramson, or go to his website, historyofcollegefootball.com. The uh, book is a an expansion of the marvelous things that are in the uh, in the podcast, and uh, we're we're happy to play those on KNNALP ninety five point seven right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. We also are privileged to be able to air this new program this week in the history of college football. We're looking at October five through October eleven. Jay, spin us a memory. Thank you, sir. October 10th, on this date, 1970. Oh, what a comeback. Oregon 41, UCLA 40. Oregon enters the game 2-2. Two and two. Number 15, UCLA, enters the game 3-1, and one, having just narrowly lost to Texas the week before. Now, the game was played at UCLA, and Oregon stayed, uh, stayed excuse me, a comeback for the ages. Down 
40 to 21 to UCLA with just over four minutes remaining in the game. Again, the 40 to 21 with just over four minutes remaining in the game. And the starting quarterback for the Ducks was forced out of the game with an injury. In comes sophomore quarterback Dan Fouts. The Ducks throw a touchdown pass. The Ducks recover UCLA fumble. The Ducks score on a second touchdown pass. The Ducks try an onside kick. And now down 40 to 35, Dan Fouts throws the game-winning touchdown pass with 21 seconds left to Bobby Moore, who many of our listeners may recognize his name after he changed it. That's Ahmad Rashad. You know, that is an amazing that is an amazing memory, Jay. And uh, sometime you need to ponder this. I think you could do a program on great comebacks that happened when the starting quarterback goes out and a second, third, fourth string goes in because you've, you've been able to share several of those kind of memories already. And I'll bet you have enough to fill up a whole program just on that particular topic. Can you imagine... Can you imagine Dan Fouts sitting on the bench and then coming in and throwing to Bobby Moore, Ahmad Rashad, who just happened to be uh, married to uh, Phyllis uh, Rashad of uh, the Bill Cosby Show fame. Um, Just so many connections and so many wonderful memories there. 1970, that that was a wild and crazy year in college football. That's the year Nebraska won its first national championship and backed in uh, when they were number three on New Year's Day and the two teams ahead of them lost. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's a January memory, not an October memory. This week in the history of college football, October 5 through October 11, Jay, spin us a memory. I got to pause to say you're a savant. I never thought about that idea for a podcast. Well. I most assuredly will do it. I did. Okay. Brilliant there, Brilliant. So October 6th on the state, 1990, Colorado 33, Missouri 31, the fifth down game. Coming off an 11-1 season, the year before, Colorado enters the game 3-1-1, and and Missouri was 2-2. and That was a hard fourth game. The Buffalo found themselves down 31-27 to with 30 seconds remaining and had first and goal from the three-yard line. And here's what happened. Colorado spikes the ball. Okay, second down. Colorado gains two yards on an Eric B. enemy run. Now it's third and one with 18 seconds remaining. So they hand off to the enemy for no gain, and now it's fourth and one from the goal, or fourth and one, excuse me, fourth and goal from the one, and there's eight seconds left. And the stunning stuff occurs because after the enemy was tackled, the referee stopped the clock with eight seconds because they were just doing nothing more than clearing off the pile of players. And somewhere in this moment, the fourth down marker was never flipped. And so that means the marker displayed a third down. Colorado spikes the ball. Now there's two seconds left in the game, fifth and goal from the one, and a quarterback sneak into the end zone wins the game for the Buffaloes. And Coach McCartney said after the game, and if you think about it, it's supposed to make some sense, I didn't know we had an extra down because in hindsight, who in the world would spike the ball on fourth and goal? The win itself helped propel the Buffaloes to the eventual national championship that season, the fifth down game. You know, there's probably no more bizarre, contested national champion 
than the national champion that year with the fifth down. Nowadays, that could never happen with instant replay and constantly checking and checking and checking. But uh, it was very, very real. And uh, if there was social media and Twitter back then, can you imagine the outcry that would have happened? But it's history, and 1990, Colorado national champions, courtesy of a fifth down. Jay, I think we've got time for one more memory before we have to take our first break. What do you got for us? Yes, sir. October 7th on this date, 1972. USC 30, Stanford 21. This was the closest game for the 12-0 1972 USC Trojans. Man, what a ensemble of players. Quarterback Pat Hayden, wide receiver Lynn Swan, running back Anthony Davis, and Sam Bam Cunningham. Tight end Charles Young, linebacker Richard Wood, and on and on. This team was never even remotely challenged. Remember, 30-21 to 21 was their closest game. They won by an average of 28. They were the first team to be ranked, or excuse me, to be named number one on every ballot of the coaches and AP Bowl. And that season, at the end of it, both Woody Hayes and the USC coach John McKay both said they never saw a team that could beat this, this team. This day was their closest game they had. 1972, Jay, uh, again, off the top of your head, where does this team rank in your top 25 of all-time teams? They rank in the top five. And to be honest, when I wrote my book, I changed the ranking from the podcast. And every time I went over that singular special interest story, so you, you proofread it over and over, that top five got shuffled every time. It's just so hard to pick them. But, it, but they're in the top five. They're definitely in the top five. Yeah, I know one, you. They were three. They were four. They were two. And I know I you've you've mentioned this team. So on so forth. You've mentioned this team again and again, and uh, I re- I remember in my youth, I remember in my childhood watching this team and coming right after the uh, 1970 and 1971 Nebraska Cornhusker National Champions. Everybody in Nebraska was hoping for a three-peat. Uh, wasn't meant to be, but Nebraska had a great team in '72, but they were nothing like the USC Trojans. Jay, we've got to take our first break. This is This Week in the History of College Football, October 5 through 11. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to This Week in the History of College Football. Clint Poppy, along with Jay Abramson, were spinning memories, taking you down memory lane. 30 minutes, minutes of jam-packed action and fun. And this program, we're looking at the significant names, dates, and events, October 5 through October 11 in the history of college football. Jay, in our first segment... Um, you didn't give me any birthdays. Do you Do you not have any for this uh, time period, or are you holding out on me? I want to thank you for allowing me to appear on your wonderful radio broadcast, and I guess I'm holding out on you. i got three birthdays for you, good sir. I'll start with October 5th. Happy birthday, Barry Switzer, Oklahoma Sooners. 1973 to 1988, 
157 wins, 29 losses, four ties, 83.7% of his games he won. Legendary coach Barry Switzer's version of the Sooners, they stormed out of the gate. They did not lose a game until the ninth week of his third season. Ninth week of his third season. Undefeated in the first 30 games, going 29-0-1. 28-game winning streak. That included back-to-back national championships in 74 and 75. His version, his lethal version of the wishbone attack was nothing short of devastating. In a 10-year span in 1973, Coach Switcher's wishbone rushed to an average of 357.2 yards per game. Add to that a third national championship in 1985. Barry Switcher joins a very elite fraternity of coaches. Jimmy Johnson, Pete Carroll, who won a college football national championship in the Super Bowl. Happy birthday, Barry Switzer. Barry Switzer. I got two more for you, too. Barry Switzer. Uh, people, people in Nebraska, they hear that name and they want to hate him. But they just can't. They just can't. He's just he's just such a likable guy. What 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 other birthdays you been holding out on me, Jay? I got happy birthday, Bill Snyder, October seventh. Bill Snyder, miracle worker, Manhattan, Kansas. In Bill Snyder's third year, his carrot Wildcats posted a winning record. Why is that a big deal? All right, so that season's nineteen ninety one. Now we're off the turning point for Kansas State. Because from 1937 to 1990, that's 54 consecutive years, Kansas State posted four winning records. Four winning records, 54 years. So that year, they're riding a stretch because there's more of eight consecutive losing seasons, and there's more in that stretch. They went 30 consecutive games without a win, going winless in the 87 and 88 seasons. Well, following the 91 season, Kansas State went five and six, and then Coach Snyder's brilliance kicked in big time. He won at least nine games, eight straight years, four consecutive eleven win seasons, and from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand three, his Wildcats had six eleven win seasons in seven years, and they were ranked number one at the end of the regular season in ninety eight. From nineteen ninety five to two thousand one, they had one hundred eight consecutive weeks ranked in the top twenty five. Like I said, miracle worker. Happy birthday, Bill Snyder. Miracle worker indeed, and uh, Bill Snyder uh, evokes some of those same uh, emotions here in Nebraska. And He's not mm-hmm. endeared himself to the Husker fans in the same way that Barry Switzer did, but uh, any objective fan has to acknowledge the miracle that he performed at Kansas State. And uh, you know, people who are under 50 have no idea how bad Kansas State football was because they are no longer the laughing stock of football and they're competitive each and every week. One more birthday, you said, Jay, right? Yes, I'll keep this shorter, but it has nothing to do with his stature of where he should be placed in the annals of college football history and the greats. He is a great. October 8th, happy birthday, Dana X. Bible, 1915 to 1946, 190 wins, 69 losses, 22 ties, won 71.5% of his games. Mississippi State, LSU, Texas A&M, yes, Nebraska, and Texas. In 31 seasons as head coach, Coach Bible's team posted 28 winning seasons. One 500 season and only two losing seasons in 31 seasons. As well as four undefeated teams, three with Texas A&M, nine one-loss teams, seven two-loss teams, and two national championships with Texas A&M. In 1919 to 1927, a giant of a man. Happy birthday, Coach Dana X. Bible. 
Nebraska fans know that name, and Nebraska fans also know the story, and, and I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but uh, the story goes that uh, Coach Bible wanted a small increase in pay, and uh, the folks, the powers that be in Nebraska decided not to do it, and uh, he moved to Texas, and uh, the rest is history. So, um, great, great coach great man and a great history even here at the university of nebraska all right that's enough birthdays i you were holding out on me and now we had three in a row uh we are uh counting down october 5 through october 11 this week in the history of college football jay abramson author and uh, website podcast guy uh, the football guru historyofcollegefootball.com is spinning memories for us jay spin us a memory would you please oh this one's kind of cool my father my father actually served and he was at Pearl harbor when he was bombed i love my dad um may he rest in peace he loved the marching bands he could not care less about the football game but he would watch the halftime show so october 10th on the state, 1936. And the, the, excuse me, Ohio State University marching band dots the I for the very first time. And it occurs at exactly 16 measures from the end of Lay Regiment. And there's just a little backstory to explain further. The signature formation of the band, again, occurs toward the end of the word. And what happens is a high-stepping drum major and a fourth or fifth-year saxophone player high-steps out at exactly 16 measures from the end of Lay Regiment and the I daughter then bow. But the backstory is not that. The backstory is, why does that person bow? And the reason is, one year later, because remember, this is on this date, October 10th, 1936, one year later in the second year of the script Ohio, when the drum major arrived at the I-4 measure too early, the top of the I, he turned and nervously bowed to the crowd. He was too early. Well, the crowd roared. And the bow has been kept a part of the show ever since. Wow. That is a great memory, Jay. And uh, these are the kind of magic moments that Jay brings, um, you know, whether it's uh, in his hullabaloo section or. Uh, uh, best win, best loss, the podcasts uh, that are 10 minutes long, roughly, and uh, race through the history of a particular school, expanded in his book, History of College Football, available on Amazon, and uh, it recounts all 130 Division I schools. Well, Jay, when you said 10-10-36, I thought you were going to give a different memory and I've got, exactly. to throw, I've got to throw one out for the Husker fans here. Uh, it's not necessarily a pleasant memory, but it is a great Nebraska memory. October 10, 1936, uh, the one team that Nebraska cannot seem to beat is Minnesota. Minnesota is right mm. in the middle of their dynastic years. Number 15, Nebraska, visits number one and two-time defending champion, Minnesota. The game was a defensive struggle. The Huskers intercepted three gopher passes and prevented the Minnesota offense from scoring. However, Nebraska could manage only 76 offensive yards on the day. Late in the fourth quarter, Nebraska reserve Ron Douglas pointed to the, punted to the gophers. He was punting because the Huskers' regular punter and Nebraska football legend Sam Francis was injured. The 33-yard punt was described as wobbly and low, 
But what came next was even worse for Nebraska. Minnesota's, get ready for this, Bud Wilkinson, the future Hall of Fame Oklahoma coach, received the punt, lateral to teammate Andy Urum, right before being tackled, behind great blocking. Urum ran 77 yards for a touchdown. Minnesota wins 7 to nothing. And its 26-game unbeaten streak continues. One Husker swore the Gophers had a lucky horseshoe. Luck or not, Minnesota went on to capture its third straight national title. Hats off to the Minnesota Golden Gophers. What an incredible story. And that same date, October 10, 1936. What an incredible story. Bud it, Wilkinson, who'd it, have thought? It is. Bud Wilkinson, San Francis, uh, you know, just, just names that go down in the annals of college football history. Jay, uh, spin us another memory, something from the week of October 5 through October 11. It's probably funny on that day, Bud Wilkinson probably thought that's what I'll be remembered for. <laughs> Probably. So October 10th, I guess I'll keep the same day, on this date, 1959. Bucknell 26, Buffalo 21. Buffalo enters the game 2-0. and now, now, after this game, the Bulls won out. So that means they finished 8-1. and Bucknell enters the game 1-1, and and they finished a, kind of a pedestrian 4-5. and But playing away from home at Bucknell... Buffalo could not muster a score in the first half, and they fell behind 6 to nothing to Bucknell at halftime. Now, things got worse. The lead blossomed to 26 to nothing in the fourth quarter. But in a furious comeback, the Bulls rallied with three quick touchdown passes of 52, 85, and 25 yards to score 21 answered points to cut the deficit to 26-21. With two minutes left, the Bucknell Bisons get the ball back and... Uh, Team ran out the clock. They were not, they, the Buffaloes, were not able to slow them down and derail all hopes of that elusive perfect season for the Bulls. And if I remember right, uh, my my good friend and now head coach at the University of Kansas, Lance Leipold, uh, coached at Buffalo uh, for six years. But uh, if I remember right, I believe. Buffalo went to a bowl game in 1959, and that was the only bowl game that they had gone to go, gone to until the 1990s, when I think Turner Gill took them to the International Bowl in Toronto. So um, uh, Buffalo is a uh, is a real power and a real player in the MAC, and uh, there's hopes and dreams in Buffalo. Uh, don't laugh. One day. They aspire to be in the Big Ten. We'll see if that plays true. Jay, uh, we're spinning memories October 5 through October 11. We're winding down on time. What do you got for us? How about October 5th? On this date, 1958. Army 14, Pittsburgh 14. It's a tie. Number one Army enters the game 4-0, and Pittsburgh enters the game 4-1. The game was played at Pittsburgh, and this lone tie drops the Black Knights to number three in the nation. And it was the only blemish on their schedule for the Black Knights. They'd go on to run the table, finish 8-0-1, and stay number three in the nation. Pittsburgh, they finished the season a pedestrian 5-4-1. Was that 1958, Jay? Yes, sir. Okay, and uh, when you think of power football now, you don't think of Army. But uh, in the 40s and 50s, 
Army was the team to beat. Jay, let's sneak one more in before we have to bring this to a close. Yes, sir, absolutely. So how about on this date, 1921, Harold W. Arlen. This is a radio one. I, I saved it for you there, Mr. Poppy. Okay. Harold W. Arlen announces the first live college football game. It was broadcast by KDKA. I want to get this right. KDKA Radio. Score, Pittsburgh 21, West Virginia 13. Boy, that's a great rivalry. And what was that date? It was October what in 1921? My apologies. October 8th. 1921. October 8, 1921. Well, we know all about radio, and uh, some people would love to uh, think that radio is a thing of the past, but I, I prefer most of the time to listen to a game on the radio rather than watch it on TV. I play it in my head, and I remember an old radio commercial from years ago where uh, after a, a wild, colorful description, the announcer says, Tell them that you saw it on the radio. And we hope uh-huh. and pray that uh, with our program this week in the history of college football, we can make those memories come alive in your brain and in your heart. We've got to bring things to a close October 5 through October 11. We'll be back again soon. Thank you, Mr. Potter. Thank you, Jay. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.